0: Well it's currently eight minutes past four o'clock here on Thomas Street in Castlebar, and we are going to be talking rugby now and to do so I'm delighted to say I'm joined on the line by Michael Gallagher, the Bellinare Rugby PRO and there's at least a positive development for Ireland at least. Michael you've been watching that one, how has it developed?
1: Oh look Ireland have um, easily won in in Rome, uh, it's currently 46-10 with a, a kick conversion to come from Sexton, it's wide out. Um, and he's actually nailed it, uh, 48-10, superb kick, so that's, that's a good result for Ireland, Um, ran in three tries in the first half, and similar in the second half, could have come away with two or three more as well, Uh, CJ Stander was over, James Lowe was over, and uh, they were called back for knock-ons and forward passes, so, you know, uh, we we wanted uh, an expansive, win uh we wanted tries we wanted something to show for an attack and and look, we got it you know um there was there was a number of mistakes as well, and of course it was Italy we were playing who had who had conceded ninety plus points before today, so I mean the result was probably never in doubt, but also we were just looking at Ireland's performance really it was um there were reasons for hope. My cat was under pressure during the week. The attack coach, uh, because Ireland had, you know, shown very little in attack. Uh, we we kept it maybe a little too tight today as well. Uh, didn't, you know, weren't expressive enough at times. But look, we, we were there to win, and we won, and we were there to get tries, and we got tries, and, and they'll take a lot from this they really will they'll take a lot of positives from this and uh, Pikeburn brilliant again um, Connors was good you know Hinshaw you know there was a lot of good things today so uh, you know but you still have to temper that with the fact that we were playing Italy who were they're poor to be honest they're poor
0: Yeah Italy's still searching for their first win in almost what six years it is somewhat of a formality for Ireland travelling over there and getting the victory there were question marks over Ireland's attack. I know it was against a weak Italian side, but have you seen enough that will encourage the criticism that Andy Farrell has been uh, met with in recent times?
1: It's it's hard to know. Um, it was a bit more inventive. I mean, uh, Gibson Park showed some nice touches. Uh, guys tapped some penalties and ran. Um, it was a little uh, less... Um, systematic if you know what I mean there was a little bit more off the cuff planned off the cuff stuff so um, as I said earlier Mike Cat he, he's coming in for severe pressure as the, the attack coach and it, it will have eased today yeah but but they need to develop more on that it, it was only the first step today so James Lowe he, he was just champing at the bit to get his try it looks like he had got his try at one stage, but there was a forward pass from Casey the scrum half, and uh, it was the first time in 90 years that it was an all-Leinster backline, and they played well. Yeah, I have to say that they played well. Um, they showed, um, you know, that they understood each other probably perfectly at times, so um, it, it gives Andy Farrell a lot to think about in his back, uh, whether Keith Earls comes in, whether Stockdale comes in when he's fit, Um, So, yeah, a lot to think about uh, but a win is a win is a win and and a bonus point as well. So, yeah, they'll fly home um, probably this evening with, uh, you know, delighted to have won but also with with a fair bit to work on.
0: I'm just seeing online a lot of people are hailing the success of Gary Ringrose. What did you make of his performance today, Michael?
1: Yeah, I, I liked it now. I liked it because as I said, it was an all-Leinster backline and you could see it Hinshaw and Ringrose in there and uh, they seemed very comfortable, And but they worked extremely hard as well. And even Johnny Sexton, who wouldn't be the greatest tackler in the world, he really got around and he tackled and he he was found at the, you know out on the wing tackling. He was found in lots of different places and it, they left him on for the 80 minutes as well, which was good. And you know, we, I suppose we, we all kind of um, complain about him at times, but uh, when when Johnny Sexton is playing, Ireland wins eight of every ten games, and when he's not playing, we win just over five out of every ten. So Sexton is a class act, and, you know, Johnny Sexton playing at 80% is still better than anything else we've got. Joey Carberry was back last night for after and it'll take him some time to get back, so. So it's good to see Sexton doing well and he, he'll he be delighted with, with his performance too.
0: Of course the announcement came this week by Johnny Sexton not particularly much of a surprise to say that he won't be appearing at the next World Cup. He will of course be 38 by the time it rolls around. Is this going to be somewhat of a bizarre swan song for him while it's becoming a period of transition for this Irish rugby side?
1: Yeah, I think we've got to try and try and give him some kind of a vitamin injection to keep him. Uh, and, and since then, uh, he has rolled back on it a little. He said he probably wouldn't be around for the World Cup. So, um, you know, he's leaving a little bit of doubt. So I'd say that uh, there was consternation when he made <laughs> made that announcement. And uh, at 38, they're going to have to really, if he's around, they're going to have to really nurse him, you know, the, only play him in the odd game, the big games. But um, the the uh, how, how would you say the inheritance, the progress of the Irish out-half jersey. It's, it's ideal now for Joey Carberry if he comes back. He was only on for about twenty minutes last night, but he looked classy. Uh, you know, he was kind of prancing around the place and kicked a conversion from the touchline with just nonchalance really, and he's a class act as well. You know, he's not in the class of of Sexton, but he's probably the best we've got after Sexton. So if he stays fit and uh, if we can just nurse Sexton through to the World Cup, which is only, you know, it's only the season after next, um, then we'd be okay there. But, you know, both of them are terribly injury-prone. Sexton is talking about retiring, and uh, Carberry has been out for over a year injured. So... We're in a bit of bother there, but I suppose all you can do is, you know, go day by day and and plan for plan A and plan B and plan C, but hopefully plan A comes to pass.
0: Would you be of the camp, Michael, that were surprised to see the the omission of Jack Carthy? He's been hailing a lot of praise from his first performances for Connacht, and Ireland have had the issues there at fly half for some time now.
1: Oh yeah, is is the best of the rest um, by a long shot. Um, he's better than, than uh, what we've got there at the moment. He's playing extremely well for Connacht. I remember seeing him playing Gaelic for St. Aloysius from Athlone back in his school days. He was a top-class Gaelic footballer, played minor with Ruscommon, um but has made rugby his his sport and, and has really excelled. Um, he's a he's top-class. Look at his He's really, really good. Now he's nowhere near the the class of Sexton and he's behind Carberry as well. But apart from that, he's the next best thing we've got. The reckon young young Byrne in Leinster, the younger of the brothers, is, is you know, he's the next best thing, but but we have to see that yes. But at the moment, uh, Carthy should definitely be there.
0: Is there kind of a strange sort of parallel where even a, a up-and-coming prospects at Leinster is much much more favoured than an established starter for Connacht.
1: Oh, absolutely! It's 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 so annoying in the rugby world that you know you you can be number four or five at Leinster and you're ahead of number one in Connacht in some people's eyes. Um, it must be very frustrating for the Connacht uh, players. Uh, they are showing how. Competitive they are with with limited resources, and uh, let's be honest, the the setup in Leinster is light years ahead of the setup in Connacht, and and that's no disrespect to the people in Connacht, but the funding and and everything else that goes with it, and so it's you know we really aren't playing on a level playing pitch at all. Connacht are you know, the the poor relation of rugby in Ireland, but making the very, very best of what we've got. And it's very frustrating that a guy like Carty is overlooked constantly and not even probably in the thinking of the Irish selectors at this stage.
0: Yeah, it is quite disappointing, I suppose, from the West of Ireland perspective. We kind of felt maybe for a period of time, Michael, that Pat Lamb had kind of instilled the pride in the Connacht jersey and put it up onto that top level doesn't really seem to be recognised even within the country itself here in Ireland.
1: Yeah, it's, it's, it's probably not recognised the way it should be in in national circles, but uh, what he has instilled, and uh, sometimes we overlook the impact of Willie Ruan there. He's the CEO of Connacht. He's, the job Willie Ruan has done for Connacht Rugby we will only see we will only realise it in, in the future when we look back on it. Um, because Willie has established Connapp, you know, as a highly competitive uh Pro fourteen team, a team that's looking to make an impact in Europe and a, a team that that will soon have a you know, a twenty million euro stadium. Um, so Pat Lamb and Willie Ruan and Andy Friend, they have really you know they they have done fantastic work for rugby in Connacht, and, connect, and um, that isn't <laughs> that isn't always recognised in other other places. But you know they just try to be the best they can be, and and that's they don't worry about about external forces. But it is annoying because um, you know Connacht are seen as oh, I, it's hard to explain, really. It's hard to put words on how we're seen. Uh, just seen as as uh, nice Connacht, you know, they're nice lads. But, you know, I, I don't know if they, Connacht really looked on seriously uh, with the seriousness that Connacht should be looked upon.
0: Yeah, that is an unfortunate, I suppose, factor within Irish rugby of itself. There is one Connacht man who unfortunately was not there in Rome today. It is, of course, Keelan Dorris, a man you know very well, Michael. He seems to be struggling with a neurological issue Is there any further information on his rehab and if he will be back in the green shirt sometime soon?
1: Yeah, he's he's extremely frustrated. Uh, Extremely frustrated because at the start of a few months ago he was being touted as a Lion. And, uh, you know, he he had the exact correct progress to be a Lion at that stage. But, um, yeah, I picked up uh, a bang against Ulster and that. Uh, led to, uh, against Ulster, in just a training match, Ireland and Ulster, and that led to uh, worries about concussion, and um, since then he has been attending um, new, neurosurgeons or neurological experts in, in London, and yeah, the, the word is good, but it's going to take time, so you know, there's nothing more important than health. But <laughs> it's hard to tell him that these days, I'd say. And, uh, I, I wouldn't be the, like to be the one telling him when he's watching his buddies out on a, a sunny Saturday in Rome and thinking of them going to South Africa or Australia with the Lions uh, for the summer, you know. But but he's very young. And, um, you know, it's all right for an old fellow like me to be saying this. He, he's very young and he has a a huge career ahead of him if he comes back to rugby, which by all accounts he will, of course. Uh, but right now it's extremely frustrating for him. And um, But knowing him, he will do what whatever has to be done and he'll do it right. And, um, but th- that doesn't make it any easier for him just now.
0: It was sad news this week from the world of Irish rugby. Gary Halpin passed away. Just how much of a figure was he from the world of Irish rugby, Mike?
1: Ah, oh, he was—he <laughs> was amazing. I, I'd say anyone that ever watched uh, Irish rugby, with, with uh, you know, even a side eye, will remember that try he got against the All Blacks in the World Cup first round of the World Cup a number of years ago. And uh, he let them know that he had scored as well. He made some rather uh, ungentlemanly sign uh, language to them after scoring, but that was Gary. He, he, the reckon he was a gentleman but that uh, he just got excited at that stage. <laughs> so, but he also was a highly talented Irish athlete. Uh, I think it was the hammer uh, he threw. So he was extremely talented as well at that and actually performed where, in the stadium where Ireland played today as an athlete. So it, it's a huge loss to his family. It's a huge loss to, uh, he was in Ross Grey. He was uh, teaching in Ross Grey where... Actually, a lot of the Bandai Rugby lads um, uh, have boarded over the years and they had nothing but good good things to say about him and what a, you know, an inspiration he was to young lads. So, yeah, it's a huge loss, a huge loss to a family and a huge loss to, to sport in general of, of all kinds, yeah.
0: Disappointing indeed. So moving on to the other fixture of this afternoon, Wales and England. Before I let you go, what? How do you think this one will develop at the Millennium Stadium, Michael?
1: Well, it's intriguing because you know England were supposed to beat everyone, Wales were supposed to get hammered by everyone, and it's Wales who are going to, into the match, you know, to win to win the triple crown, and um, they have played, you know, poorly. Uh, in their two games. Should have been beaten both times. Uh had a man sent off against them both times. But one, as I said, a win is a win is a win. That's all that matters at the end of the day in championship. And they are sitting on top of the table. Uh England are you know, they were absolutely woeful against against Scotland. And um they'd be looking to bounce back. But it remains to be seen. Uh, Eddie Jones was talking them up saying you know that they're absolutely buzzing for this, and I'm sure they are. But there's a lot of pressure on them. If it goes wrong in the first 20 minutes, um, they will be under pressure, and the the lack of games for Saracens will really tell if if it comes down to a real dog fight, which which it do. But if England, you know, if, if they, if, uh, you always wonder, are they going to play more expressively? Because you just feel that they can, and uh, they're playing very staged tin-man rugby at the moment. But if they just express themselves a little more, you'd think that they'd be more successful. But, you know, Wales are there to to, to go and win the Triple Crown, and they're playing at home. And, you know, I'd, I'd love to see them win it. But it, it, it's probably hard to see them win it. But you never know. It, it, it could be their year because everything has gone for them much now.
0: Excellent insight as ever. Michael Gallagher, many thanks for joining us here on the Saturday Sports Show and enjoy the remainder of the weekend's fixtures.
1: Thanks, Cooley.
0: Well, that was Michael Gallagher giving us his thoughts and thankfully we are joined on the line by CRCFM Sports contributor Cahal Boyle. Call, you can hear us there? I can indeed. You were watching that game, I'm sure, this afternoon, Ireland versus Italy. A comprehensive win for Andy Farrell's sides. Side, what... Were your thoughts on the performance of the Irish team
2: uh, look after a shaky start uh, with this season, it was hard to expect nothing less than a win against a very uh, on f- a very consistent Italy side who are consistently bad, I should say um however i 'm not really pleased with the overall result uh, I mean we had a great game, but it doesn 't really show our capabilities against the teams of England, the teams of Wales, the teams of Scotland. Um, Etc. Um, so I was kind of disappointed with Ireland's performance. I mean, twenty-three missed tackles, I believe, was the final tally. Um, so uh, it was it was quite disappointing on, on my behalf watching it. Obviously, the first two games didn't get us off in a great start either. So uh, I, I'm I'm struggling to to find the the positive outcomes which could be translated into a game against um, a game against Scotland and a game against. Uh, and the game against England, so I think it'll be very hard, uh, uh, very hard to find uh, positives with that. I'm, I'm, I'm obviously as an Irish fan. I'm obviously looking forward to the games against Scotland, hoping we can put out a win, and the game against England, hoping we can put out a win. But obviously, optimism isn't always on your side.
0: Where do you see the failings occurring within the Irish setup?
2: The lack of free flowing action, and the one thing I will say is that. Andy Farrell has been, by far, so far, I should say, the worst coach in terms of depth of field, in literal sense. He has, I believe it was 11 players on today's playing field that were Leinster. And they still were following the same core weaknesses we've had before, uh with relation to Ireland's squad. I mean, missing tackles, not having great uh, passing ability in, in the field. I mean... You had some nice free-throwing action um, in cases, but it's never long enough to actually sustain. So I, I'm kind of... kind of. It doesn't look good for an Irish team going forward because I don't think the, the era of Paul O'Connell, the era of Brian O'Driscoll and that type of game with Joe Schmidt has, has long gone. And uh, I think this is... If we thought 2019 was bad, uh, I think this is a lot, lot worse.
0: Would you perhaps put the blame on Joe Schmitz for bringing in that formulaic kind of robotic boring style of rugby has it been beaten out of the players this idea of playing free flowing attacking style of the game you know maybe they've just totally forgotten their roots and it's becoming more and more difficult to train them back into that style
2: it, it, it's I'm kind of trying to cheat my words carefully well okay in in before the World Cup, or sorry, before after the World Cup, before Andy Farrell took over as the Ireland manager, I said he's going to use the 2026 Nations as a testing bed for the 2021 Six Nations. His plans got messed up entirely with COVID-19. Obviously, there was a massive gap between Italy, and he tried. You could see against the the final Italy game we had. Uh, I'm sorry, my apologies. It was the France game. You could see there was an entirely new slate of Irish form, I guess. We lost that game in the end uh, and England ended up winning that Six Nations. But there was a kind of different slate of Irish aggression in that game. And I think he tried changing the game plan between the start of the Six Nations in March or February of 2020 and then between when the games returned in around, I think it was uh, September, October, August, in and around that uh, autumn period. And it didn't work. And he's trying to stick to this new template too hard we saw a bit of of interest in the game back in in march 2020 that we could be going right on the back foot because we were i think we were second at the time before we going into the france game or number one before going into the france game but uh, ended up capitulating against france and they ended up beating us but i would say that when it comes to when it comes to actually trying to Refine this game plan. He hasn't done it. He hasn't hit the the nail on the head. And I think the time he's had with the Ireland squad hasn't been strong enough where they could be uh, focusing 24-7 on a game plan. I just don't think he's had the right head of mind in this. And especially focusing all around the Leinster squad who are playing different tactics at Leinster and different tactics at Ireland. I think, first of all, he's not playing the right selections in these teams. He's not playing the right uh tactics in these games i just think that uh the blame would be in joe schmidt for not realizing that after 2018 and the successes we had in 2018 that we should be changing our game plan from then on out because everyone we were the target in 2018 of who to beat we'd beaten new zealand we'd won a grand slam a world cup was coming up if we were going strong into that world cup every team would want to beat us down every single second in the, in the Six Nations before the World Cup, just so we didn't have that chance of, of being strong there. And it ended up working. It's because Joe Schmidt thought his game plan, teams wouldn't find out his game plan in 2019. So they did. They shut him down every single door they opened. And look, they haven't realised, I think they're still back in, in cuckoo land of 2018 when Ireland, they're still on the high of that, which I think everyone else is long past that. that my thoughts is that they haven't moved on from that type of game plan.
0: Yeah, there does certainly seem to be much more of a deflated atmosphere surrounding Irish rugby, but fortunately, a 48 point to 10 victory in Rome sees Andy Farrell pick up his first victory in this season's Six Nations tournament. Thanks, William Carlo Boyle, for joining us here on the Saturday Sports Show, and enjoy the weekend's action.
2: You too, Kevin.
0: Many thanks to Carlo Boyle there for joining us and giving us his thoughts on Ireland's performance this afternoon in Rome.